So our passage is Genesis 20. I'll read. From there, Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. And he sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now Abimelech had not approached her, so he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did he not himself say to me, she is my sister? And she herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Then God said to him and in the dream, Yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart, and it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now then, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. So Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all his servants and told them all these things. And then the men were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you see that you did this thing? Abraham said, I did it because I thought there is no fear of God at all in this place. And they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, This is the kindness you must do to me at every place to which we come. Say of me, He is my brother. Then Abimelech took sheep and oxen and male servants and female servants and gave them to Abraham. And returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. To Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It is a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you. And before everyone you are vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech. And also healed his wife and female slaves so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. May God bless the reading and the meditation on his word. Amen. This time, uh, read the passage to yourself for a few minutes and uh, ask yourself, what does it say? What does it mean? How do I obey? And is there anything I should share with anybody? So, as we think through this chapter, I believe it's helpful to realize the last thing we read about Abraham. The Lord had met with him. He said, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham pled with him that he wouldn't do it. God did it. Abraham saw it shortly after it happened and the smoke was rising. So what's he do? He goes on a trip. He goes south. He doesn't go all the way to Egypt. 
But he goes into what will be the southern part of, of the promised land of, you know, as David, as Joshua and David, you know, set up the kingdom of Israel. Um, you know, much later after this, he was still within the boundaries of the land that God had promised to give to Abraham and his family. But we read in verse 1, Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur, and he sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah his wife, she is my sister, and Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. So if you read Genesis chapter 12, the last half, we see that Abraham did almost this exact same thing. He went to a foreign land. There was a famine. Pharaoh said, ooh, actually Pharaoh's men said, ooh, she's pretty. We're going to take her to Pharaoh because that's what the leaders did back then. It was sex trafficking. It was slavery is, is, is what it was. Some things haven't changed, have they? And Abraham lied. She's my sister. I mean, that was, that was true, but it wasn't the whole truth, was it? So... <laughs> Here's what we're going to see in the passage today. I'm going to tell you right up front, we've already touched on it a little bit, that when we are faithless, God is faithful. When we screw it up, God can rescue us. And often does. He's not obligated to. Sometimes He lets us have what we want. But He disciplines those He loves. Read Hebrews 12 about that idea. It's beautiful. Abraham did not trust the Lord. And beginning in verse 3, God steps in. Let's read verse 3 and 4 and 5. Well, I'll just start reading. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now Abimelech had not approached her, So he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did he not himself say to me, she is my sister? And she herself said, he is my brother. And the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Now, now let's talk about that. He's taken women for himself. He's got lots of ladies. And now he's talking about integrity. And and, and we'll see in verse 6, God says to him in the dream, I know that you've done this in the integrity of your heart. There's not a lot of integrity in this man. But what we can say is that he really did not know that this was Abraham's wife. And God's not arguing about that. God's not making a point about this. God has a promise that he has made to Abraham and ultimately to the world. And Abraham's trying to screw it up here. Because the time is approaching for Abraham and Sarah to have a baby and to conceive a child. But if Sarah is living with Abimelech, she's not going to conceive a baby, is she? She won't conceive a baby. So Abimelech is not a man of integrity. But the way Moses writes this and and the way the Lord talks, they're just saying that Abimelech really did not know what he was doing. He did to some degree. Because he would... Just take any woman he wanted, you know, if they weren't married, I I, I assume. And he would do what he wants to do with her. 
So there's not much integrity, there's not much innocence in Abimelech. So God says in verse 6, I know that you've done this in the integrity of your heart, and it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. What would have happened if Abimelech would have touched her, and then she would have had a baby? What would have happened to the promise of God that Abraham and Sarah would have a child that would bring a blessing to every nation on the earth? Yes. And the Ammonites, that's right. And we'll learn more about the descendants of Ishmael in two weeks. But God didn't let Abimelech do it. Same thing happened with Pharaoh back in chapter 12. God did not let Pharaoh be with Sarah. So we see God's sovereignty over kingdoms and nations in this. We get to verse 7. Now then, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet. And, and as Joe rightly said, this is the first time the idea of prophet is found in the Bible. So, return the man's wife, he's a prophet, so that he will pray for you and you shall live. Now, now that's important in this story. I don't understand everything around this. But the Lord, you know what? I just realized something. It's really weird when I get a brand new thought upon preaching. Do you remember in our last several messages on prayer? You know, Abraham prayed and asked God to spare Sodom and Gomorrah. And what did God do? Well, well, Abraham said, you're not going to destroy the righteous along with the wicked, are you? Well, what did God do? He rescued righteous Lot. Abraham was a mediator. Then, God responded to that prayer and showed mercy to Lot. That role of a mediator is huge all throughout the Bible. He interceded. This is what we're doing Wednesday night. This is what we did, you know, uh, after catechism when I prayed about 18 different things. We together were standing as a mediator. We were in between. Abraham was in between God and righteous Lot. And he was bringing them together so that the mercy of God would meet Lot. Here, it's important, and we'll see it later on at the end of chapter 20, Abraham will pray. God can do anything He wants to. But it is often God's desire and God's heart to have a man or a woman stand between Him and something or someone else in this world and to ask Him to do it. And this is one of the ways that He brings us into His plan and into His purposes. So God wants Abraham who just sinned against Abimelech to pray for Abimelech so that Abimelech and his nation will be healed. All right, so the end of verse 7 says, If you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. In God's confrontation of Abimelech, it was in a dream, we see God's radical commitment to his promise. He is so devoted to his promise that when we do something that would endanger the fulfillment of it, 
He is loving enough and faithful enough to himself to step in and expose our sins so that his promise will be fulfilled. I take great comfort in this. Because I know anything I read in his word that he says he's going to do, he's actually going to do. And Joe Biden or Osama bin Laden or the Chinese Communist Party or any of those enemies out there. The witches of Gates County. No matter what they do, God will fulfill his purposes, will he not? And God will step in as he sees fit so that it will happen. Hundreds of years after this, you know what God did so that he could fulfill his purpose? He split a sea, the Red Sea. It's a pretty big one. Look on your map. And he took thousands of people through. And when God's enemies went after all those people, God closed the Red Sea and all the enemies drowned and they died in judgment. God will fulfill his purposes. So we get to verse 8. And Abimelech reports to his servants and they respond. It says, Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all his servants and told them all these things. And the men were very much afraid. So then in verses 9 and 10, Abimelech confronts Abraham. And then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? How have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, what did you see that you did this thing? All right, so we have ungodly, immoral, human trafficking, uh, slave operating, slave operation owner, Abimelech. And he has a standard of right and wrong. Abraham, you've done things to me that ought not to be done. The world we live in, different people have different standards of right and wrong. What is the correct standard? What is the right way to measure what's right and what's wrong? It's nothing less than the Word of God. Nothing less than the Word of God. And so when people say, you hate me because you said that witchcraft is wrong, or this sin is wrong, or that sin is wrong... I say, no, we don't hate because we tell you something's wrong. We're telling you that your standard of right and wrong is different from God's. And we are a messenger of God. And this is what God requires of you. And we ask you, please come to God because you have broken his law. So there's a great deal of hypocrisy in Abimelech. There's a great deal of hypocrisy in, in many places in our world, and that's always been the case, but in, in 2020 it's become so much more evident, so much more obvious. He, this man is in the human traffic industry, and here he says, foul ball. You can't do this. And I say, let's look to God for what's right and what's wrong. So Abimelech confronts Abraham in verses 9 and 10. Verse 11 and 12, we get, and 13, we get Abraham's response. And what I want to do in these verses is to go deep down into Abraham's soul. I want to go deep down into his way of thinking. I'm going to go ahead and warn you. It's a little bit scary. And I'm going to go ahead and warn you that if you're honest with yourself, you probably do the same stuff. I do some of the same stuff. This is why I need God every day. <laughs> so let's look at Abraham's thought process. 
Abraham said, I did it because I thought. We think wrong sometimes, church. This week, I have assumed things about people that were not true. Most of you could probably raise your hands if I asked you to. I'm not. (laughs) Sometimes we're told things by others that aren't true. And then we assume things about the people that were involved in what we were just told. And those things aren't true. Look at his assumption. He says, I thought... There is no fear of God at all in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Is it possible that he could have had reason to believe that? Yeah. There, I mean, you know, he'd been through that area before, less than 25 years previously. You know, news traveled around then. It took a little bit longer than it does today. But he could have had good reason why he thought that. You think a hurricane might come our way this week? You going to take precautions? It's okay to take precautions, isn't it? If you think that something's going to happen. Precautions are good. Those are legitimate. What's not okay is to sin because of something that you think. Was Abraham right? Did they have a fear of God in this place? In some ways, yeah. He, he, God showed up in the dream and Abimelech and his men feared what would happen, right? Mm-hmm. I wonder though, and I don't have an answer to this question, did they fear God prior to that? I mean, we know about all his ladies, right? So I, I, we don't know much about Abimelech outside of the Bible here. He, he will pop up and, and actually a, a, a few times even to Isaac, Abraham and Sarah's son. That will be born next week. But Abraham was probably right. They didn't fear the Lord. Is that any excuse for him to sin? And it's not. And in our assumptions, many of them are often wrong. There are are a few things in this world that we know to be true. There are a few things in this world to know. I assume things about my kids. There'll be conflict. I assume that, you know, that one kid did this or one kid did that. And then, you know, you have a conversation with them and a few others. And then you realize, then I realize that what I thought happened wasn't what happened at all. (laughs) There's very few things that we know for sure. Especially things that are of a temporal nature. Notice also what Abraham was doing here. He was borrowing trouble. Noah. We, and, and look in verse 13. This was their plan to do this all along wherever they traveled. When God first called Abraham 25, you, you know, at the age of 75... Let's let's read verse 13. When God, he's still talking to Abimelech. When God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, this is the kindness you must do to me. At every place to which we come, say of me, he is my brother. 
So for 25 years, this has been the plan. Wherever you go, so he's borrowing trouble. How many of y'all got trouble to deal with today? Tomorrow has enough of its own. There was a very wise man named Jesus who talked about that in Matthew 6. How many? You, you've got concerns. You don't know how certain things are going to be provided for in the future. Or you've got a difficult conversation coming up with someone. Or you've just got hostility and trouble in your life. Walk through the trouble today and don't borrow the trouble tomorrow. Abraham was anticipating problems that he didn't have yet. Here's how we live our life. We live our life trusting God with whatever it is that might come our way today. Well, what about tomorrow's trouble? Well, we'll do the same thing tomorrow that we do today. And we'll trust God tomorrow just like we did today. So Abraham is borrowing trouble. And notice also that what Abraham told Abimelech it was a half truth. Yeah, yeah, they got was it the same was it the same father and different mother? Same father, different mother. She is the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. This is half truth, children. It is so easy. For everybody, but especially for kids, to share part of the story, not the other part. Children, if you've done something wrong and your parents begin to ask questions to you about what happened, don't just tell them what your brother or sister did. Tell them what you did first, and then if your parents ask, you can tell them what your sibling did. Things will work a lot better for you in your home, I promise you. Adults. Do you spin things to come off a certain way? Do you leave out certain details so someone will think good of you? Do you attempt to deceive your spouse by presenting half-truths? Now, I know that there's no way to give everyone every piece of information about everything. But I'm asking you to examine your, the integrity of your heart. Are you concerned about what other people think of you so you leave out details that may cause them, if you leave them out, that they'll, they'll be more likely to think highly of you? Do you do this with your friends? Do you do this at work? Do you do this at church? Do you do this with me? What we see in verses 11 through 13 is that fear drives us to sin. And Tim, I think that captures the, the heart of your question, particularly verse 13. This had been the plan for 25 years, almost 25 years. God called him to do something, and he said, the only way we're going to make it through this is if, Sarah, is if me and you lie whenever we go into a new place. That's the only way. See, he's like, functionally, he's acting like an atheist. As if God can't do anything. Now, he's not an atheist. But his faith is very much disconnected from his actions here. And I think there's a lot of well-meaning people, us included, that often do not let the gospel affect every single area of our life. And when we do that, we do things like what Abraham does here. Let me say this to men, to husbands and wives. If your spouse tells you to lie, don't do it. Genesis chapter 12, 
You know, and all along, Sarah's lying because Abraham asked her to. Genesis chapter 16, Sarah said to Abraham, you know, God, you know, Abraham, I don't think God's very, you know, fulfilling his purpose in the right amount of time. How about you have my slave woman, Hagar, and have a kid with her? And God can fulfill the promise through her. And Abraham's just like, all right. Husband and wife, you can tempt each other to sin. Let's not do that. Let's not do that. Let's say, no, we can't do it for this reason. I think it's a bad idea because it's just not the right thing to do according to God's word. Abraham compromised. You know what the Bible says about compromise? Don't do it. (laughs) Don't do it. It's seen all throughout Scripture. And one commentator said this. He said that Abraham thought that God could not take care of him. He assumed that he would have to take care of himself. And this got him into the foolish predicament of this episode. We get to verse 14. Abimelech took sheep and oxen and male servants and female servants, gave them to Abraham and returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. To Sarah, he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It is a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you. And before everyone, you are vindicated. Abimelech wanted everyone to know that she was not taken advantage of sexually. Verse 17, Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech. That's the part about God wanted a mediator. And Abraham was the prophet of God, even though he'd sinned against Abimelech. It was Abraham's, or it was God's call upon Abraham to pray before God would heal. So Abraham prayed to God, God healed Abimelech, and also healed his wife and female slaves so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. We see that God is Lord over conception and birth. There are some that never conceive who tried desperately for many years. And the Lord is sovereign over that. And it is a heartbreaking circumstance. But it is from the Lord. And babies are from the Lord. You ever known someone who got surprised with a kid? You know, shouldn't be having babies anymore. Boom, God gives you a baby. That's from the Lord. It's something that the Lord does as he sees fit. I know someone who had six children while they were on birth control. (laughs) The Lord is sovereign over conception and birth. Verse 18, it says, He closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech. And I'm going to tell you next week, He's going to open the womb of Sarah and Abraham and Sarah. They're going to have a baby. So let's, let's step back and take a big picture. What did God do in all of this? God protected their marriage. They were faithful. No one else ever took advantage of Sarah. And she's going to have a baby. Um, let me speak to that. I think so. It doesn't say that, but we know she has a baby when she's 90. Yeah. She would be a temptation to anybody. 
strange, strange, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so, because your body starts breaking down before then, doesn't it? So, let me, what was, I was going to touch on that a moment ago and, and I didn't. Okay, timeline. Um, back in Genesis 12, when they went down to Egypt, after everything happened and Pharaoh gave Sarah back to Abraham, they left, they went, gone, boom, we're out of here. Well, in this story, they stick around. They stay, and we see that in verses 14 through 18. They stay. They stick around. And according to what I've seen ahead in chapter 21, and really even into chapter 22, is that they're in this area for a while. Maybe one or two decades, possibly. So they're sticking around and living life. They're sticking around and living life. And I I do think she's in her late 80s when we read this passage. So, let's see. If Abraham would have got what he wanted, if he would have got what he planned, he would not have been with Sarah at the timing that God wanted Isaac to be conceived in. Here's one of the sources of our greatest joy. 2 Timothy 2.13. Paul writes to Timothy. He says this. If we are faithless... He remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. What's most important in this life of Abraham is the promise of God. Abraham was faithless, God was faithful. He rescued Abraham from sin. He rescued Sarah from her sin because this was her sin too. She could have told Abimelech, "Uh uh-uh, that's my man right there. We've been married a long time. She didn't do it. Okay? Abraham's not the only one screwing up here. But when we are faithless, he remains faithful. If God would have denied his promise, he would be denying himself because God is the foundation of truth. He is truth. All truth flows from him. He is truth. He embodies truth. He executes truth. What I mean by that is he brings it into our world. He displays truth and he shows us what it is. And that promise that we had that God worked so hard to maintain and uphold here is the promise that all the nations of the earth would be blessed in Abraham. You know how God did that? Well, Abraham had a kid who had a kid who had a kid who had a kid. And if I said that for two more minutes, we finally get there. But he had a kid who had a kid who had a kid who had a baby. And that baby's name is Jesus. That blessing, that promise is about more than a son from Sarah's womb. But that blessing and that promise is about the very son of God who was sent into the world to have his body broken and his blood poured out. So that our sin can be forgiven. If you don't believe in Jesus, I want to ask you to believe in Jesus because He died for you. He took the punishment that our sin deserves. And He invites you and I to take part in His family, to take part in His promise, and to come into it by faith. 
He says, come to me, believe in me. I will make you my son. I will make you my child. You will belong to me. So God was faithful in fulfilling and accomplishing his plan so that his son could come. And I want to tell you, in the years ahead, as it gets harder to be a Christian, that we can count on God to be just as faithful in fulfilling his promises of his next return that is yet to come. And as we've learned earlier this year, he will destroy all his enemies. He, his kingdom will be fully brought into the heavens and into the earth and into all the heavens. He will destroy all of his enemies. And he will do everything necessary to fulfill that promise. Let us have faith and confidence in our awesome God that he will do all that he says he will do. Let's pray.